Please be seated. Let me say something I've never said from the front in 29 years. I think our Lord Jesus wants to heal people in this room this morning. But I'm gonna come at this in a really different way. I'd like to brag about Jesus from Mark 5, 21 through 43. And I want you to sense the heart of Jesus. I'd like you to see the posture of people who, who desperately long for healing. And the posture is waiting and seeking and then I'd like you to listen to a testimony. A fa young family from our church. Uh, I think this is correct. Brett, we, I believe Kyle died. Is that correct? We think he died. Uh, and then he might be here this morning. So you're going to listen to a testimony of a family who, who watched and who sought for healing, for the touch of Jesus. Now we talk about healing for you. If you ask me to pray for healing for you, this is how I will pray for you. I've been doing this for 40-some years as a pastor. I pray, if you ask me to pray for healing, I pray that the light, the love, the goodness of Jesus would come to you in the place where it's needed. I believe, I believe every time I pray for healing, the light and love of Jesus is released. How that is expressed, I don't know. But I believe every time we pray in the name of Jesus, he is so gracious and kind, he releases light and love. Now, other healing, more healing, different kinds of healing, I think that does happen, yes. But I always believe his light and love is expressed. So let me show you what we're, what we're gonna do together. May I have a slide, Jim, um, number six? So I'm gonna talk for 20 some minutes and ask you to talk with me back and forth from um, Mark 5. And then from that, we're going to move into two minutes of silence. And in that two minutes, I'm going to ask you to be listening. What does the Lord Jesus have to say to you? Let me just segue for just a second. Blank screen, Jim. So this is, this is, this is a big umbrella of mercy here. So I'm assuming we all believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Is that a fair assumption? And then we believe he's alive by his spirit. Is that a fair assumption? So then we believe that he is actively involved in our lives today. Is that a fair assumption? So in that light, should I, should I expect that he speaks to us and wants to reveal more of his heart and his kingdom to us? Yes or no? Yes. So what if he wants to do that this morning? To you, to each one of us. What if the King Jesus wants to express his heart for you? But one of the things that just strikes me as I look at me, I'll use me. I am so mindful of uh, this idea, that, you name all the things. All the things I think about, write down all the things I think about in a week. Work on, focus on, what's the focus of my life? And compare that, how much time do I focus and seek Jesus? So what I want you to see in this passage this morning is you have people who are so desperate that they will seek Jesus no matter what because they want a touch from Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Has this ever been your experience? Yes. 
Have you ever longed from the depths of your heart for an experience, a touch from Jesus who is present? Is that true? Help me, church. See, now we're not going to talk about a dead guy, and I'm not the professor, and this is not the museum. We believe Jesus is alive. He is alive by his spirit. He speaks in his words and by his spirit. But here's what the scriptures say. I'm quoting God. When you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. So I seek all these things. Think about all the sites I go to, all the things I watch, the things I read. Think about all the things. You think about that yourself? How much do I seek Jesus? So that's what I'm poking at this morning. So that's chapter 5, 21 to 43. Then we're going to have a moment of silence, and then I'd like you to hear a video from a family of our church who went through this incredibly challenging moment. There were 16 days of waiting and then months of waiting, and they were seeking the Lord. And I, I intend to show that to give us encouragement. And then we're going to move into silence, and then I have written a prayer for healing. And I've spent a great deal of time, and I went through the pastoral care, and I have... I have from that list that I've been given, and I know, I just counted as we stand here, there are seven of you right here right now. Altogether, I have 28 names that I used to craft this prayer. But there are many others who need a touch from Jesus. And so the idea would be at the back end, we're gonna pray and no one's gonna stand, no one's gonna know anything. I'm gonna ask Jesus to release his light and his love for healing. And we're going to end up with a song called, I Will Wait. So could you open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 5. Let's jump in. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk it through because there are just so many nuances here. Mark chapter 5, look at 21, and there are different angles in the story, different people in the story, different women in the story. Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21. The title is, Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Now, let me stop for a second. I want you to think about tulip time for our guests. Once a year, 100,000, some whole bunch of people come here. I want you to go on Main Street on, on uh, the Friday of tulip time. It's a beautiful day. It's 65 degrees. It's a beautiful day, and there's... Tens of thousands of people in Pella. And I want you to walk down Main Street. Walk on the sidewalk between the business and the street, and I want you to walk through those crowds. What's that like? Now, I want you to think about Jesus. Everywhere he goes, he is surrounded by crowds of people. Not a couple, crowds. There are 250 villages in Galilee. And they said the whole region came to see. He is surrounded by people. I want you to think that one through now. As we enter this story, I want you to think about what was for Jesus, fully God and fully man, to be surrounded by human need. Next verse. Verse 22. Then one of the synagogue uh, rulers named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus and said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now think about that for a second. 
So who's already in chapter two, I told you several weeks ago, in chapter two, they're already thinking about how to kill Jesus because Jesus is claiming to be God. So already, the religious leaders are beginning to think about killing Jesus. This is a religious leader. What does he do? He falls on his face before Jesus. Some scholars say he is hanging on to Jesus' feet and he is begging Jesus to come. Do you sense how much he is seeking? He is begging Jesus, who he has just talked about, probably with other leaders, we gotta get rid of this guy. But now in a time of desperation, he is seeking Jesus. Next verse, what do you see next? Later that night, uh, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. Uh, 20, 25, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under care of many doctors, had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So will you forgive me, but I'm gonna read just a little bit from a book called Holiness and the Missio Dei by Andy Johnson, because I wanna talk about this woman's bleeding, and I wanna connect it to the little girl. Because in some very real way, for those people, listen to me now, the bleeding woman was dead relationally. And the little girl is dead physically. So Jesus is coming to dead people. So watch what happens. Let me just read this. With regard to the woman with the, with the hemorrhage, we should recall that for the Jews, blood or sexual fluids are part of the birth-death cycle and they sustain life. The rabbis taught the life is in the blood. However, when crossing the body's boundaries and flowing out, they, they symbolize the loss of life and death. So this woman had a continuous menstrual hemorrhage, would have been seen to be perpetually unclean, and she would pollute anything and everything she came in contact with. So in that day, if a woman had her period, she was required by the law to pull out, back away from people for seven days to become purified, re-enter the congregation, re-enter the relationships. So when a woman was unclean, she could not touch her husband's hand. She could not hug her children. She could not go to market. She had to be completely pulled out of culture. In some ways, she was relationally dead. There was a, this is an example of a woman walking through absolute life disordered by a death of losing relationships. Imagine the physical toll on this woman. So ladies, could you put yourself in this, would you please? You cannot touch the people you love. You can't be in the same space with them because you are unclean. Now let's put it out for 12 years. Can you imagine that, ladies? Think about this, 12 years. You have no contact with your family. You can see them from a distance. Just imagine the emotional, relational death this woman felt. And then it goes on to say, this engages in a bold and dangerous action. When she comes up behind Jesus, she touches his clothes, and then something happens. He offers her peace. Now let me unpack, now let me go back to the passage. I've given you kind of the background. Let's go back to the passage. Verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Now, historical note, only the wealthiest of the wealthy could go to a doctor. 
So most of the people are poor. In all of Israel, in that day, there were 3,000 Kevins, 3,000 Pharisees. Everybody else was poorer than dirt. You did not have money for a doctor. If you had a doctor, let me give you some of the, some of the medical practices that you paid for. You bought an ostrich egg, ostrich egg. You put it in a cloth, and women, you put it on your lap. That was supposed to heal you. Or develop poultices of different kinds, and then you put them on your lap, and that was to heal you. She spent all the money she had, wealthy woman, going to all these doctors, and nothing happened. So it says, verse 27, look at the desperation. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak. She heard, she came, she touched, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now look what happens. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now what's going on with, if I can just touch him? So the rabbis taught that if you could find a holy man, and he had, he's a he, had tassels, on your battle robe here, if you touch the tassel, you might get a touch from God. So the superstition was you got to find yourself a holy man and you got to touch the tassel. No, that could be true, but it also could be true that this woman is exercising faith. She is so seeking, she is so sick of being dead to relationships. She will do whatever it takes to get reengaged. So the passage would continue. And then what happens? But Jesus kept looking around. Um, I'm go back. I'm sorry, 30, verse 30. Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now let me stop for a second and explain that. Verse 30. He realized that power had gone out for him. About 40-some years ago, when I learned to pray for, the, for healing and cast out demons, they used a phrase that I've never forgotten, and it reflects what I just read. The phrase goes like this. When you get involved in intensive ministry with people, virtue leaves you. Some of the holiness of Christ living in us is expressed to the person we're ministering to. It leaves us. So Jesus says what? She, he knew power had gone out from him. How did it go out from him? Here's a woman who is so desperate, she has been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for 12 years, and she says, I don't care what, so just imagine, just imagine, two up time. You're standing out by Marion County State Bank, and all of a sudden, some lady comes flying through the crowd, knocking people over, because she is going to get to you, because she wants to touch part of your clothes. Can you just, just, now, follow, follow me, everybody in the community knows this lady's, this lady's unclean. She's making all of us unclean. Not going to spend seven days in rituals to get clean because of her. She doesn't care. She wants Jesus. Time out. Have you ever wanted Jesus like that? Have you ever wanted Jesus so much that you didn't care what anybody thought? You wanted a touch from Jesus. So Jesus says, he knew power had gone out of him. He turned to the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples say, you see the crowd, people crowding against you, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, 
trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So how much faith did she have? I would suggest it's a little bit. And now he says, peace. What's the peace? Your peace. What's the peace? She was relationally dead, and now she can re-engage in relationships. And notice he calls her daughter. I want you to get as we talk about praying for healing, I want you to catch the heart of Jesus. So in that community, a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years would have been absolutely on the margins. You don't want to be around her because if she's around you, you're going to be unclean, which is going to affect your work, which is going to affect your relationships, which is going to affect, you affect everything. So here she is, and what does he say? Your faith, how much faith? Probably just a little bit. Your faith, now go in peace. If you pray with Pastor Katie, I think, I think this is true, almost every time she prays when I'm present, she, near the end of her prayer, she prays for the shalom of God. The word shalom is not just the absence of conflict. Shalom is a broad word that means so much. And now he says, you can go in peace. You can go with shalom. Now watch. Because you who are dead in relationships are now back alive with others. Well, the passage goes on. He says in uh, verse 35, while he, Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Now, what does that mean? A little history. In Jewish tradition, you had a death in your family all of us were required to hire professional mourners. Poor people were required to have two wailing women and one man playing an instrument. But if you were wealthy, you were expected to have a whole group of people, and they would wail and mourn and pour sackcloth and ashes and pare their clothes for seven days. Jesus, verse 39, he went up to them and said, why all this commotion and why all this wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. Let me talk to that. The child is not dead, but asleep. Do you remember, oh, I say, five or six years ago, I did a series on heaven and hell. Do you remember one of the analogies I used for what happens when we die? Do you remember the one about the children? So imagine a little child, a little girl, a little boy, is playing with somewhere in the house, and you're babysitting, and he or she just falls asleep on the ground. And they wake up in their bed in the morning and they don't know how they got there. She's asleep and awakens in a new place. When we die, those who are in Christ, we are asleep. And we awaken in a new place. We transition from this life to the next. So Jesus says to these professional whalers, what's all the commotion? She's just sleeping. Well, look what happens next. What happens next? He said, 
verse, um, uh, where am I at here? For, for 39. He went out into them and said, why the commotion? Wailing and child's not dead but asleep. They laughed at him. He put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the, what? Oh, wait a second. He's unclean. You can't touch a dead person. You can't touch a bleeding lady. You can't touch a blood. You can, you're, you're, you're unclean. You, you can't do that. This is what I said to you six weeks ago. Holiness moved from the building to the person. And now Jesus is walking around, touching all kinds of people who are unclean. And Jesus is never contaminated. He releases light and love to everyone. I want you to, let me step back now a second. In the last weeks, we've read about the sermon, the storm, Jesus casting out a demon in the synagogue. In all those different things, from Mark 1 through 8, what you're seeing consistently is the holiness of God expressed in Jesus all throughout Galilee. And he is never contaminated. I have a story to tell you. So a few weeks ago, I talked about this, and we, then we had a response time for people to come forward on a communion Sunday. And I'm going to change the story just a little bit. But someone who, for a variety of reasons, felt uh, unworthy to take communion because of something in the past, for the first time in long season, walked to the front and took communion and experienced a touch from Jesus. Now we stop again. So we have this little bread in this little cup, right? And in our tradition, this, we don't believe in the, this is the actual body and blood of Christ. But we believe that somehow the Holy Spirit does something to this and it becomes something powerful, gifted to us by God, right? Is that fair? So stay with me. So this is, I take, I take communion every day. Let me tell you what I say to myself. The bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. I remember you, Jesus. The cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. After I take it, I say, I remember you, Jesus. So when you take communion, if you are seeking Jesus, there should be some kind of a beautiful exchange when you eat this bread and drink this cup. But if it's just a little piece of bread and a little bit of juice, well, there's nothing there. Or, well, these are just words written by people over a long period of time and mean nothing. Or, these are the very words of God. And when we seek, I get this figured out. So when I was in high school and college, the focus of my life was basketball. That was the focus of my life. Every, everything in my life eventually came back to basketball. My senior year of college, the Lord in his mercy destroyed my dream and broke my heart. 
and redirected my life and saved my soul. And since that time, I have been trying to learn to seek the Lord with all my heart. So a little piece of bread and a little piece of juice is the body and blood of Christ. The words that we read are words from heaven. The songs we sing are expressions of love to someone who we will be with forever. And all of a sudden, instead of seeking, putting a little piece of cowhide through a piece of metal, think how silly that is. All I think about, all the time, increasingly, is I want to go be with Jesus forever. Seek the Lord. That's what's happening. Well, the story goes on. We got a little more, a little more yet, and then we're going to go to some application. A little farther here. Verse uh, 41. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Ka'un, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. And she was how old? And how many years did that woman bleed? Hmm. I think there's a connection here. What's the Lord saying to us? It goes on. They were completely astonished. He gave them strict orders not to let any, anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So Jim, slide five now. Now we're going to move towards some application. So in this passage, what I see, I see some suffering women who are waiting. And then I forgot to put the word seeking and they are wondering, and they are receiving. So my question to us is, and could all of us ask this question, how do I believe that the risen Jesus might respond to me today? Do I believe that Jesus could respond to me today? And why do I believe this? Can we take two minutes of conversation? If you're comfortable, I'd invite you to share. If not, pretend you're praying. Two minutes, that question right there. Would you? On your marks, get set, talk. Two minutes.
All right, thank you. Now, why did I ask this question? So this comes back from multiple scholars through the centuries. The sentence is this. What we think about God is the single most important thing about us. So do I believe, so I mean, all of us can ask, do I believe that Jesus loves me enough today to offer me his light and his love? Just that. Do I believe, am I, am I worthy enough? Am I, whatever the adjective is. Do I believe, do I believe that no matter what I have done or where I have been, that Jesus Christ wants to offer me this morning a touch of his light and his love. So in that light, can I invite you to watch a story of our church, one of our church families, and watch how they waited, how they sought, and perhaps this would encourage you to believe that Jesus loves you too. Would you please watch? I was driving uh, back to Pella from Des Moines when I got the call from the police department. And even though they didn't give me any uh, details or um, actual facts about what was happening, I just sensed there was a real seriousness to the situation. I got a phone call from HR at Vermeer saying there's been an incident at work. Um, Kyle is not doing well. He, you need to go to the emergency room immediately. We had traveled out to uh, South Carolina the day before and then down to Florida uh, the day of. And so actually, uh, you know, I got a message uh, on my phone uh, in flight between Florida and South, South Carolina. And so when we were landing, my phone just lit up with text messages and uh, voice messages. And I thought to myself, what is going on? And so I called Monica. She shared that Kyle um, was on his way to the ER and that something really um, ser serious had happened. So I, I did not have a lot of information because that was a short conversation. I had to get on a plane. So we, we took off from South Carolina and frankly, I didn't know whether Kyle would be awake or not, alive or not, when I landed. There was a lady that happened to be walking by on the Vermeer bike path or walking trail mm -hmm. and heard like a loud crash. And she saw that Kyle hadn't rear-ended somebody and was just like kind of sitting there in the parking lot. And so she called Vermeer security and was like, hey, there's a hit and run, like hurry, like you can catch the guy if you come soon enough. And so Vermeer security, it was three guys came running basically out of the security office. Kyle was parked near there and just kind of found Kyle slumped over, still in reverse in Vermeer parking lot. From there, they called 911 Pella police officers. Two of them came with, like seconds later. They happened to just be nearby at Madison School. Um, came, started CPR on Kyle. A second officer came and had an AED, AED unit on him and shocked him. Um, and then literally seconds after that, Pella Ambulance arrived, picked him up, brought him to the ER. Um, and then from there, they were able to get Kyle stabilized and the life flight came, picked him up and brought him to Mercy. 
Um, and then from there, we were in ICU, the cardiac ICU with Kyle, um, you know, fighting for his life for about 16 days. Every day in the ICU uh, was a battle, every day. I mean, that's what I've been told. Uh, so uh, I was fighting for my life. He was um, in a coma for like three or four days, I believe, and then he slowly woke up from that. And from there, it was kind of just um, a long wait. Um, the only thing we could really do was lean on God and prayer and just hope and confidence in God that, you know, we were going to make it through this and come out the other side. One thing would pop up and we would get through it. And, uh, um, Slowly and surely, I woke up and uh, had to learn how to walk again. Every morning, my sister would text me uh, scripture and prayer that uh, I would read over Kyle when I would go into the hospital room with him. And um, it was nearing the end of his time in the hospital, but I was weary and not even knowing how to keep on and to pray. And so I was with Kyle and I said, I'm gonna read you Melissa's prayer now and read her text message from this morning. And so I read that to him and I'm reading that over him. And all of a sudden he, he goes like this and he goes, mom, I think I just got healed. And we claimed that and it wasn't more than an hour later and it was confirmed by the doctors. That problem was gone, taken care of. So after I recovered, you know, in the hospital and then came home and received healing there as well, uh, through physical and mentally, uh, gaining my memory back and being able to move around again and walk, um, I was able to go and uh, just reflect on what had happened to me and uh, what God kept telling me over and over was just that um, you know, we're all warriors in a battle and uh, you know, it's a never ending battle uh, and we obviously need community in that, um, you know, it's not a, a fight that we fight alone. we look back to what happened with Kyle, um, we know that we have a powerful God and a loving God and that we can believe that he will do what he says he's going to do. And um, we're gonna keep claiming that. We're gonna keep claiming that over and over. Oh, sometimes talk to the Neundorps and hear more of the story, but what's interesting to me is a backstory. When the whole incident happened, uh, I was invited to go to Des Moines, and because of COVID, we were not allowed in the hospital. But somehow, we got in a room, and there were 15 of us, something like that, something like that. It was interesting in the circle, because there were two families who had lost their children the last couple of years, and we were one of them. So here we are in a circle, praying for Kyle's life. And there was a moment that was just powerful when an elder prayed a prayer 
that absolutely uh, drew us as one. Interestingly, the elder is Kyle's brother. And so as I cried, and as the maze cried, we prayed with this family and the light and love of Jesus was released. Sometimes there are victories. Sometimes there are losses. But in the end, we always win. Amen? So let's have two minutes of silence now. And would you ask, I'm going to make a big ask. I'm trusting that we, most of us, all of us believe that Jesus is alive. Would you ask the Lord Jesus, what would he offer you this morning? And if you're in need of healing of any kind, just open your heart to receive. And I'm going to pray a prayer at the end of two minutes. So can we have two minutes of silence? Open your hearts to Jesus. So Lord, we, you were gracious and presence, present in such unique ways to those two women 2,000 years ago. So I am asking you to be as compassionate and kind and present, releasing your light and your love as you choose. So congregation, here's my prayer for you. Lord Jesus, give us faith to wait patiently. Teach us, Lord, to listen intently. Guide our hearts in love daily. Guard us with your presence strongly. Magnify your beautiful name sweetly. Lord, give us faith to seek you. We turn our eyes toward you. Teach us, Lord, how to listen. We long to hear you speak. Guide our hearts in love. We want to know your ways. Guard us with your presence. We need to experience peace. Strengthen us by your grace. We lay our lives before you. So now, Lord, would you magnify your name? Many in this room and some listening online desire your healing power. So Lord Jesus, bring your healing presence into our lives right now. We feel pain, but don't understand its origin, nor how, know how to find relief except by calling on you. So you, Lord Jesus, must be our relief. You must be our healing. 
We come to you by faith, in faith, with faith, asking for your light and your love from your compassionate heart. As our creator, show us kindness. Demonstrate your ability to save, heal, and deliver. Remake us. Enter our stories right now to the work of your Holy Spirit. Reveal your truth. Release your goodness. We wait upon your word. We wait upon your touch. We wait for you.